I'll tell you, one of my one of my all time favorite films, and it's a film. It's one of those films that did change me. Um, is a, a film called Dead Poet Society. Mm. Have you seen that? Uh, yeah. Robin Williams and right. Ethan Hawke, and uh, um, about some teenage boys wow. who, you know, saw an example of somebody who was teaching them to to carpe diem to seize the day. Uh, I came out of that movie literally with my fist clenched, like carpe diem, you know. And I still do. I still feel like, okay, I'm gonna. This seems like the right thing to do, carpe diem. Let's let's go for it. The story is there are innumerable ways to categorize art and entertainment, by genre, by era, fiction or nonfiction, art created as propaganda or art as escape. Over the course of our first season of Lightwise, we've touched on all of these, but we've tried to focus on stories that amplify light. At the end of each episode throughout this first season, I'd ask our guests what films amplified light for them. Today, we listen to what they had to say. I'm Joel Ackerman. This is Lightwise. This season, we visited with filmmakers, actors and comedians, activists and academics, and entrepreneurs. As you listen to what amplifies light for them, ask yourself what stories in film, TV, or other media amplify light for you. And as we look forward to season two, also ask yourself what you'd like to see or hear more of from us at Lightwise. Be sure to leave us a comment or send us a message at lightwise at angel.com. Thanks so much for watching. Until next time. Angel Studios is all about telling stories that amplify light. What films or TV shows in your life do you feel like amplify light for you? Uh, what other ones? Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, uh, ooh, that's a good one, man. Oh, wow. What stories have amplified light for yeah. me? Um, golly. <clears throat> the, the first one that comes to mind when you ask that question is going to be a very strange answer, The Dark Knight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Batman film. It's uh, it it takes the character of Bruce Wayne into some very very dark places. He deals with a you know an unimaginable tragedy. There's like all kinds of horrible things, and he at the end of the film makes a choice to sacrifice his good name as Batman to preserve the thing that he cares about, which is the city of Gotham, and that's yeah. incredibly powerful and a beautiful like. It's no coincidence that the very last shot of the film is Batman riding into a light shining at him. Yeah. And I, I find that very powerful as well. That that entire trilogy really speaks to me because the world of it is so dark and messed up. And so as he maintains his integrity throughout, it's it's just it's fascinating and uplifting to watch. Um, for me, I'd say Superman 1978, Christopher Reeves. Uh, just the, the notion of having all of that ability and all of that power and just using it to help people. Lois Lane says, who are you? And he says, a friend. I'm a little boy. I'm watching Superman and I'm just like, I just want to help people. Mm. Right. And that has stayed with me that there's a straight line from there to here in my life. That's cool. Uh, And, and Rocky Balboa came out three days before my mom died. And that movie is when Stallone wanted to make it and they say, you're too old. Nobody cares. And he's like, you guys, it's not a boxing movie. It's a movie about aging and mortality and loss that happens to have a fight at the end of it. And 
I watched it with my dad because it's about a father and a son mourning the loss of the wife and mother. It was so on the nose and it was so, it was, it was the uplift that we needed at a very hard time in our lives. So that's a and very I personal. I mean, you guys watched it like the week after she passed. Right? Yeah. Well, two weeks. Two weeks. Uh, yeah. Because we had made it through the funeral on Christmas. Then I'm like, dad, we're going. Yeah. I, I mean, I love the inspirational movies that are based on true stories. There's lots of those. My favorite movie, it's going to sound crazy, but my favorite movie is Fight Club. Hands down. Okay. Changed my life. Really? How so? So some of the concepts in Fight Club are when the person's putting their hand on a doorknob and it's burning their hand and they want to release and they don't want to face the pain and they're forced to face the pain. And I think that there are many times in life where life is so painful that I just want to escape. I want to go somewhere else in my mind and pretend like it's not real. And yet, if you can face the pain and not run from it, then I think it can really change somebody. There's also another thing, um, another line within the movie where it says, the things you own end up owning you. And it was right after college that I had heard that, that, that I'd watched the movie. And that line stuck with me. The things you own end up owning you. And I don't think it's bad to own things. I don't think that there's anything evil about sure. that. But I never want to be owned by an object. And, and it had an impact in my life where I sold almost everything that I owned. I've done this twice in my life. Sold everything that I owned or got rid of it in some fashion and started a new direction that I felt like I was being led to go into like a specific thing. And so Fight Club has had a significant impact in my life. I think that's great. And and uh, we really appreciate asking this question because I think the movies that amplify light are much broader than what sometimes people think of. If they think of just... Um, shows like The Chosen, which obviously amplifies light. But if if you have a narrow view, like, hey, it's only shows about Jesus Christ can amplify light. But I agree with you. When you, you know, when you look at a film like Fight Club, it's gritty, it's brutal in a lot of ways, but there's honesty to it, there's wisdom in it, there's uh there's great lessons from it. And I think at the end of the day, there is light going through the journey with Tyler Durden there's a lot of darkness there obviously but there's there is light in in it my answer might be <laughs> unconventional you know the film contact yes okay uh, based on the book contact written by noted scientist and atheist carl sagan okay i read the book i loved the book when i was a teenager the film has a bit of a different emphasis and what struck me about that film when I watched it when I was, I don't know, 14, 15 years old, is that the central character, Ellie Arroway, is a scientist so dedicated to objective fact, objective truth, proof of the things that we know and believe, uh, or proof of the things that we know, right? She's, she is, in the beginning of the film, notably not a fan of the idea of faith and belief. Um, then she has this fantastic journey where she, through alien intervention, ends up traveling to another place and speaking to an apparition of her deceased father. She has these incredible experiences that she knows in her heart actually truly happened. 
But all of the recording equipment somehow failed. There is no record of any of this happening, even though she traveled through a wormhole to another universe, whatever, made alien contact. And at the end of the film, in front of Congress, she has to testify that she knows these things are true and that they happened because she experienced them, even though there is not a shred of objective evidence to that matter. Um, I read that. I saw that film as a teenager and just wept because that resonated with me so much, that there are things that we just can't prove, that by their nature, we will never prove these things in a court of law or in a laboratory setting, that the nature of truth is something, it's not something we can always prove to the satisfaction of a third party. Uh, And we have to just accept that we can know those things in our heart. We can know them to be real, as real as anything, even if there isn't a shred of objective, tangible proof to back that up. I I read the book after I saw the movie and I gave a book report in my high school English class and my teacher was beside herself, had no idea what to do when I was giving this book report and crying in front of the class (laughs) because it was so meaningful to me. What a powerful message. Yeah. And she just was like confused and afraid, like, why is this child crying in front of the entire class? Um, But that has always stuck with me. The reality of we can know things, we can know them more than anything else without a shred of evidence to support them. We don't have to prove it to anybody else. You know, usually I love, uh, I love reflective movies. Like there's a movie that I, I, I would never forget called The Tree of Life. Terrence Malick. Yeah, 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 Terrence Malick. I love this movie because it's so reflective, so deep, so true. It's like reading a novel, but at the same time, like going into like a trip. Um, I, I, yeah, I can say that it kind of amplified life for me. It made me like think of things I've never thought of before. Yeah. And there are like other movies that did not amplify life for me, but I that like I always go back to watch, like The Hours, for example. That's one of my favorite movies. Okay. I love Revolutionary Road. Also, San Mendes, it's like, for me, it's like the most beautiful movie that has been done about couple life with Kate Winslet and Leonardo DiCaprio. Okay. Yeah, this kind of like, uh, yeah. These what, kind of. So, yeah, what do you look for in, in a movie that, that really gets Nicola Mowad really excited? What uh, Emotions. <laughs> yeah, I think after I watched the, the Tree of Life, I wrote something that says that movies for me are not always meant to be understood, but they, they have to be like felt and lived and this is what I look for in a movie, like like The Tree of Life, for example. I'm sure like a lot of people didn't like that movie because they felt that it's something they didn't understand or it's something that's kind of like couldn't relate to. But to me, it was kind of, it made me feel stuff. And for me, art, whether it's a painting or a movie or a theater play or whatever, it should like shake something within you. Th- this is what I look for in a, in a movie, to be honest, like emotions. Yeah. Well, sure, so so this so you so you brought up um, Turn. you know that there's yeah. there's uh you know a lot of dark entertainment has elements of crime and violence or whatever. Um one of the shows that amplifies light for me is and it's an adaptation of a Broadway show but it's Les Mis. Mm. It's filled with darkness and violence in terms of what's going on. Yeah. And yet, at the end, there is, they've transcended it and there's redemption and uh, you go through the darkness, but it 
it supports good values, even spiritual values. Oh, yeah. Um, so it's not, to me, it's not so much that you can't look at darkness, you can't uh, even go through darkness. Sure. But what is it at the end? Is it just to experience it, to kind of have this vicarious experience of what would it be like if, right. uh, in the soap opera's case, if if I was just sleeping with a bunch of people and there was all kinds of drama around me? Right. Um, but to find something edifying uh, through this journey and and see good for good and evil for evil. So does that I, help I at all? I, it does, and I think that's a great point. Um, ultimately, I think it's what are the lessons that we're drawing and what is the message that we're yeah. teaching? Are we condoning it or are we showing that, well, this is an unfortunate aspect of humanity. Here are people who rise above. An idea that comes to mind for me that I have loved in the past, I cry every time, is Amazing Grace, a uh, film okay. that was created a few years back. It shares the story of William Wilberforce, who spent decades trying to abolish slavery in England. Mm. Uphill battle, massively uphill battle, because they were a massive empire that had a lot of economic interests yeah. in propping up this way of life. And uh, and the film just shows his dedication, his inner flame, if you will, of just, you know, that was he was trying to nurture and make burn brightly. Um, the the bravery that he had to have in standing up to very powerful people to push this work forward, the tenacity of never accepting defeat, of which there was a lot, just always trying again and again. So the persistence. You and know? I haven't seen the film, but just just the story. If we just look at the story, slavery is a very ugly thing, a very evil thing, and and yet to see to someone your point. to right? right so to go through that ugliness and to overcome it yeah um, by seeing the ugliness not in a gratuitous way yeah. but to uh, you know see it for what it is the evil that it is yeah. and then to rise above it and overcome it would be very light amplifying I would think I, I think that's right I, I would argue another thing that I might call quasi-light amplifying is dystopian uh, content. So one of the reasons I think that satire is so helpful is because it's teaching truth with a bit of humor and sting. And uh, and I think the same thing with dystopian content. It's pointing out the problems with, say, a totalitarian government or a society full of you know oppressive people and so forth by depicting the problem so yeah. that it's just starkly clear you know, how much of an issue this is. So this can be something more modern like, you know, Hunger Games or, or whatever. Did the Hunger the Games remind you at all? I didn't read the book. So when I saw the last Hunger Games, obviously the story's completely different. Right. But I felt like the, like I just, Fought the American Revolution. Sure. The feeling was like, oh, yeah. yes, we just overcame. Absolutely. This. No, yeah, I, I feel that way all the time. That's why I like these, is because it just emboldens my spirit a bit to be like, yeah, we do need to fight for these things. Yeah. We do need to protect people. And so, you know, it can be stuff like that. It can be books like 1984 and others. Right. Like, I, I appreciate, I, I think that they teach light in the sense that. Um, it's almost like when you turn light on, you're more aware of the darkness right. and the problem. That So I'm illuminating a path before me, but I know that I don't want to walk over there without shining my light because danger lurks in the shadows. So I feel like dystopian content for me can often do that by saying, let's point out the darkness and why it's a problem. So let's go shine our light and have more you know, transparency, freedom, whatever. Uh, so I, I'm a big fan of dystopian content. Uh, 
content for that you reason. You mentioned The Hunger Games. Is there other? I'm trying to think of other movies. I think The Giver was one. I didn't quite love their adaptation, but that was a pretty yeah. uh, popular one. Uh, mostly, I, I find that the dystopian stories work better in fiction and in books, I sure. should say, rather than in uh, in media content. Uh, as you point out with The Hunger Games, they don't always quite get the story as great as the as the book is. I'll tell you, one of my one of my all-time favorite films, and it's a film, it's one of those films that did change me, um, is a, a film called Dead Poet Society. Mm. Have you seen that? Uh, yeah. Robin Williams and right. Ethan Hawke and uh, um, about some teenage boys wow. who, you know, saw an example of somebody who was teaching them to, to carpe diem, to seize the day. Uh, I came out of that movie literally with my fist clenched, like carpe diem, you know? And I still do. I still feel like, okay, I'm going to, this seems like the right thing to do, carpe diem. Let's let's go for it. So on the other end, maybe the other end of a spectrum, uh, another film that I just love and has had an impact on my life is Groundhog Day. Oh, whoa. <laughs> and you look, I know, it's like this Bill Murray comedy. Yes. You just think this, but I walked out of that having laughed all the way through it, but yeah. I walked out of that thinking, man, wouldn't that be kind of cool if you, if for a while you did have the same day so you could just really focus on changing something about yourself? And then I thought, well, in essence, we do. You know, if I decided today that I was going to start every day, I wanted to learn how to be an ice, you know, a, a chainsaw ice sculptor like he does in the mm-hmm, film, mm-hmm. I could do that if that's where I wanted to focus my time. And I started wow. thinking through what are the things that if I start right now and just do it a little bit every day, that I could kind of have my Groundhog Day effect and, and could become uh, proficient or even, you know, highly skilled at something. What, what, are the, what are the attributes about myself that I want to develop? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not to, to over-philosophize about a beautiful little comedy, but that is one that made a difference. And, I, and I've, realized, I've heard from others that, that I wasn't the only one, that this, this zany, out-there, broad comedy about a guy who wakes up and has the same day over and over and over again impacted people, you know? So there's there's another one. So Dead Poet Society and Groundhog Day. Yes. <laughs> um, my top list, it's and I'm all over the place, so it probably feels weird to follow me along. But uh, Matilda, Danny DeVito, one. I haven't seen oh, the new such one a good yet. Movie. The book is amazing, the too. The book is amazing. Doll's book, amazing. That sure. one is one that Formative. feels like it It maybe should be child-centered, but it deals with these heavy themes, yeah. and it's dealt with in such a fun way. Well, a lot of Roald Dahl's work is oh, kind yeah. of dark yeah. uh, in, in its undercurrent. In like a Dr. Seuss way that makes it feel like, oh, that's not dark. Right, right. <laughs> right? <laughs> but it kind of is, yeah. <laughs> it is. I would say, yeah, Matilda, About Time, Dan in Real Life, and... Um, Oh, there was one last one that I was going to say. I can't remember. But I, I feel like um, those those kind of span the genres for me because it's either like very heightened, absurd, like Matilda, or it's very grounded in real people. And it's about kind of sad stuff, but it's dealt with in a very lighthearted way like Dan in real life. Right. Or with about time where it's just like, it's just meant to just like make you feel the best about yourself. And it's going through like in a very uh, like kind of, What's the word? In a very fluffy way, maybe, mm-hmm. but like in palatable almost. Yeah. Oh, Stranger Than Fiction. That's the last oh, one I was yeah, gonna yeah, say. Yeah. Stranger Than Fiction, where it's also like you know, there's there's a lot of um, like heady kind of material in it that's too. That's what I would call the witty genre. That's the witty yeah. genre, but then you also just have this man who like didn't make much of his life, and he's faced with losing his life, and all of a sudden it means so much to him, right? I think that like. 
there's such a fine line between the best dramas and the best comedies. It's sure. just that instead, in Stranger Than Fiction, he's like, you know, shouting at nothing and someone's giving him a weird look instead of like, you know, shouting in his, you know, in his bath bathtub or something. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, whatever drama scene you're going to yeah, think. Yeah, your yeah. internal drama Right, has the way been that it's coming at you might be a little different, but it's dealing with these same constructs that we're all struggling with a little bit. Yeah. Man, and I love, I love action. I love energy. I love comedy. But like movies or books don't have much sticking power for me unless they turn in, mm-hmm. unless they like deal with like human elements, unless it's about uh, humanity or relationships or growth here. So if I watch a movie and it's just like, like bubblegum fun, I could be like, that was fun. I probably wouldn't watch it again. I'd have a great time though. <laughs> but like, I think of like my latest favorite movie is Everything Everywhere All at Once. Oh, yeah. And it's just like, it has, have you seen that? No, I haven't seen it. Oh. I also haven't seen About Time. That's okay though. That's, <laughs> I haven't seen hey, that one either actually. It was made <laughs> by the, list. it was made by Richard Curtis who did, you know, Love Actually. Mm. So if you've seen Love Actually, you know the vibe. But okay. I think it's better. Okay. Think it's better everything than Love everything ever all at once has action, which I love, and it has comedy, which I love, but has oh. so much heart. And it it makes everything I think of like creating things like cooking a lot, where I'm like, like, yes, salt is good, you need it, but it doesn't mean anything unless it's enhancing a flavor something else it's enhancing the garlic or Mm -hmm, you know the mm -hmm. whatever it is at its base and so for me like comedy is the salt on the meat that is like emotion or humanity or something i mean it's such a funny metaphors you're maybe a poet too i'm i am i don't know about a poet but i am like wild at metaphors it it gets out of control (laughs) it's no for all sometimes you're like okay you lost me image driven what movies or tv shows Amplify light. Yeah. Well, I mentioned earlier, I think when things get to deeply true uh, 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 statements or emotional threads that, that just go, oh my gosh, I can't believe you're actually. So Mitchell's versus Machines, right, is one of those okay. um, that landed on some deeply true ideas about family. And can, can, a, can a family save the world? Is, is that the secret sauce? What? <laughs> in, a, in, a, in a raucous comedy, you know, you're getting to these deep truths about what – what value a family brings. Uh, I just, I couldn't believe it, you know. Uh, one of the formative pieces for me in feature film was Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. Okay. If you remember this movie. It's very, like, cartoon. Just, you know, if you remember, the girl sits down and puts her heels through his eyeballs. You know, like, it's very cartoon. Just like, woo, woo, you know. Mm-hmm. But then it starts landing these emotional truths about this this character and and his doubt in himself and who he is and you know, his father's inability to share emotionally with his son. And they have this gag at the end of the movie where they put this little adapter on the dad so he can speak his emotionally true self. Okay. And he tells his son how much he loves him and how he's proud of it. And, and I just wept. I was like, this is beautiful. It's this raucous comedy, but it gets to this true moment of a father who's unable to express to his son. He tries to use fishing metaphors. It's very comic. But he's able to speak truly to his son, his adult son, about – how valuable he is to him, you know, and it breaks through. And and for me, it's those moments that um, tower, that speak true and amplify so much light and and do it in light and comedic ways, but get to this Puss in Boots. I mean, good heavens, Puss in Boots 2 is wrestling with death. Do I, do I fear death? Do I run from death? Do I face death? Can I overcome death? That's a big, big, big question. And they get to it and they answer it very truthfully in a way that I think spurs conversations. That's why I think the triviality of something like the Barbie movie it stirs these big conversations. Anytime that happens, whether it's an animation or otherwise, I just rally for it. And I love it in the common space. 
I think it's it's not as useful when it's over in the separate space. So the Christian industry, we tell our stories in separate space, mm-hmm. and we're kind of echo chambering. We're telling truths that we all know to each other to reaffirm, which is useful, right? It's useful in the context of our of our communities. It's useful to echo those things, but in the broader co- public space, right, where we can have those conversations that are just the whole community, right? I mean, I just I I I got teary eyed telling my family, think about how many millions of people will see the Barbie movie and engage in questions about gender and how I engage in sexuality in, in my culture and my community. Mm-hmm. Conversations that would not happen otherwise. And they wouldn't happen, they may happen over here, but they're happening in a public space with little kids and teenagers and adults who are coming out of it going, I need to think differently about how I'm approaching. I'm using something, I'm, I, I disagree or agree, I'm gonna spur a conversation. Right. Those are far more useful and impactful to culture and to people right? To provide hope, to, to amplify light. Um, and I, that's what I yearn for. And so I just champion anytime these things happen in the broad space. And obviously with Angel, with Sound of Freedom, it brought a big conversation mm-hmm. that could have happened in a p- quiet space over here, but miraculously happened in this big space, right? And it had some very difficult and important conversations that couldn't have happened elsewhere. And any one of us that are telling those stories, we want to be a part of that. And is that economically successful? Is it like, you know, a hit? Sure, that's that's not what you chase, though. You want the broader conversation to happen. Right. Like Oppenheimer, like the conversations out of Oppenheimer of like, if we gain such power, what is that useful? Should we have it? What happens if we do have it, right? Oh, wow, those are big conversations. Those are amazing. And that is that amplifying light? Yeah, is there, is it a difficult story? Does it have some caustic stuff in it? Sure, but it's still accomplishing something else, right? I agree. Well, you know, things like, um, um, what's it called? A, Wonder, a wonderful life. Uh, oh, it's a wonderful life. It's a wonderful life, yeah. Mm-hmm. Things like that. Back in the day, we're specifically affirming religious views and, and values. Yeah. yeah. Heck, the Andy Griffith show and stuff. <laughs> like, but that just shows how old I am. I'm sure there's money, but that I can think of. I, I, I always kind of like, I should do a list. Uh, there, is, there is the films that amplify light, and then there's the films that inspire me that had a massive impact in my uh, profession as storyteller. Okay, uh, I I I'm a believer of of imagery. The, the, like, you know, this is a motion picture, and I believe that I, I give everything to the image, and it, it will get it gets complemented with sound. But you should be able to watch any movie without dialogue and without sound, and understand everything that's happening. So. For me, you know, there's there's movies that are purely, you know, dialogue driven that I enjoy a lot, but I'm very, uh, you know, influenced by the visual storytellers of of very particular directors. Um, Such as Andrei Tarkovsky is one of them, okay. and you know, there's a movie called Stalker, which is actually really it 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 does explores. It's very spiritual, but it's 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 uh it's it's it's. There's a lot of subtext, so it's a, a, a difficult movie to watch nowadays. Mm-hmm. You know, it's uh, the pacing is really, really slow, but it's beautifully choreographed. There's a choreography, a dance between the camera and, and the and the characters mm. that I was very influenced. And I shot my last movie, like you know, influenced by 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 the work of Tarkovsky. Uh, Orson Welles is another one mm-hmm. that really, really 
had a massive in impact into the way I like to tell stories. The uses of shadows and light and camera angles are, you know, the power that they, the subtext that that brings into mm -hmm. the, uh, into the storytelling and the narrative. But thematically, um, you know, I, I will have to leave it now because I know any other movie comes to mind, but Chinra's List was, was a, a, a film that had a massive impact on me. That had both. Because a lot of times the, the films that, you know, have a beautiful message or a very meaningful message are not necessarily executed cinematically speaking, the right way. And, you know, I do feel that a, a, a film needs to have both together, you know? Yes. To, to really create that, uh, that, that momentum. Oh, I can think of one. Uh, it's uh, Hawksuck Rich, done oh, by yeah. Mel Gibson. Yeah. Uh, that, that film had everything uh, for me. So, you know, Mel Gibson is... Now I can say he's a friend. You know, I I, I got to meet him and, and he, oh, he was a big part of Sound of Freedom. He, uh, we needed to cut 10 minutes. And I just, at that point, I was like, okay, I don't know where. And Jim was like, well, let me see if Mel will, will join you in, 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 in this. So we, we spent some time and watched the movie. I think he watched the movie a couple, more than a couple of times and, and, we we he he was a big asset to I called the mail caught and we we were able to to reduce those those ten minutes so for Love me that. Mel Gibson is is one of the greatest uh, storytellers out there and and uh, I'm a fan of his work and I got the chance to meet him I was always uh, a science fiction fan so Star oh. Trek was a big thing in my day I was a, I was in high school when first Star Trek first appeared in the late yeah. 60s and so that. <clears throat> but you know, and so did all, you become a fan of the next generation or just the original cast? Well, uh, um, I didn't actually see the next generation until the next generation after that. Okay, because I was busy raising the kids, and we I got rid of the TV when we had kids so that they wouldn't be watching it. Oh, cool. So uh, for my for my view, nothing beats the original. Okay. <laughs> yeah, well, I agree with you. You know, Life is Beautiful is definitely, you know, a film that I, I've always enjoyed very much. Um, Schindler's List is, you know, definitely, uh, you know, one of my favorites. And, um, you know, funny thing, because there was an interview that was conducted to some of the producers behind Schindler's List. And someone asked them, if you could do something different, you know, what would you do? And his response was, if I could, if we could have done this film 50 years earlier, then we could have really made a difference. And to me, that's just something that, you know, was so powerful. And, you know, translating that to Sound of Freedom, I believe that this can be the Schindler's List of our time. And I think that if, again, we all come together and help shine a light on the darkness that is human being, yeah, human trafficking, sorry, and use our talents and our platforms to try to put an end to it. I think we can end human trafficking and child slavery. Lightwise is a video podcast production of Angel Studios released every other Tuesday. If you'd like to watch episodes of Lightwise, download the Angel app wherever you get your apps. 
To learn more and to watch light amplifying content for free, go to angel.com. This episode was written and directed by me, Joel Ackerman. It was produced by Cameron Jackson and John Van Sickle and edited by Cameron Jackson with sound recording by Garrett Briggs and sound mixing by Brian Densley.